Until Sunday. Come to Boom Island in Minneapolis, as in Boom Island, drop the mic, and then you'll find out. Boom. All signs point to Minnesota Senator Amy Klobuchar announcing a run for president later today. The question now is what are her chances of a successful run for president? Hello, I'm Tom Hauser. As you just heard, Boom Island is where Senator Amy Klobuchar decided to make her big announcement about plans for 2020. It's set for 1.30 this afternoon, and here's what she said on MSNBC Tuesday night just after President Trump's State of the Union. It's going to be a little cold, 20 degrees, wear warm clothes, maybe have, you know, a little heat warmers with you, but then you'll find out my decision. If she does enter the race, Senator Klobuchar will be the 10th Democrat in a field that's only expected to get more crowded in the coming weeks and months. Right now, she's not among the best known of that group on a national level, but her more moderate leanings might be an asset in middle America battleground states. Senator Amy Klobuchar scored three landslide victories in her Minnesota Senate races. Now she takes that impressive Minnesota resume to a national stage among better known candidates. I'd say she's second tier and she has hopes of getting into the top tier. Carleton College political analyst Stephen Shear says Klobuchar's official presidential announcement here on Boom Island near downtown Minneapolis will be important. He said she needs a good turnout of supporters in the cold, and then she needs to make clear her differences with President Trump. They'll be looking for a contrast to the temperament of Donald Trump, and Amy Klobuchar is a very clear contrast to that temperament. She also needs to convince voters she can defeat the man she watched deliver the State of the Union speech Tuesday night. Klobuchar has already pointed out she won 42 Minnesota counties in 2018, that President Trump won in 2016. But can she do that nationally? I think Klobuchar is well positioned to attract key swing voters in important swing states. And the three big states to look at are Wisconsin and Pennsylvania and Michigan. The Trump carried narrowly and got him his electoral college victory. Scheer says her appeal to moderate Democrats might be key. Amy Klobuchar right now has a promising position in the current field if it stays the way it is. She really occupies the center lane of that field better than any other candidate. Klobuchar is already getting some national attention since her announcement about her pending announcement. A Washington Post columnist touted her toughness in questioning Justice Kavanaugh during his Supreme Court confirmation hearings and her expertise on fighting rising drug costs. I will be at Boom Island later today for Senator Klobuchar's big announcement. We'll be streaming it online, live at KSTP.com. Then watch for complete coverage this evening on 5 Eyewitness News. Minnesota Republicans have added one more seat to their narrow majority in the Minnesota Senate. On Tuesday, Republican Jason Rarick won a special election in Senate District 11 in Northeast Minnesota. Republicans now have a 35 to 32 seat advantage over the DFL in the Senate. Majority Leader Paul Gazelka says it may be small, but it's a big deal to his party. We can navigate so much better, and there's so many bills coming from the House this year that are different from where we want to be. And now if one person agrees with them, we still are able to stop it on our end or still able to, to put forth what we think should happen uh, so that when we get to the governor, we actually get to say what we're trying to do, and negotiations then will be with the governor, not between the House and the Senate. So, uh... 
Rarick defeated Stu Laurie in the race. The Senate District 11 seat had been held by Stu Laurie's father, DFLer Tony Laurie, seen here. He resigned last month to become Human Services Commissioner. This week, state lawmakers got an up-close look at the dangers corrections officers face on a daily basis. A Minnesota House Corrections subcommittee met inside Stillwater Prison on Wednesday. Corrections officers there told lawmakers they're understaffed with a ratio of 70 inmates for every one officer. They say Officer Joseph Gom was killed by an inmate while working alone last July. And with a partner, you always feel safer than with by yourself. There should be nobody that walks in this institution by themselves. Uh, Joe was by himself, and it will be our responsibility to make sure that, that uh, no officer is by himself when he's, a, he's attacked or injured again. Going home safely, I'm, I'm glad that's the theme of the day because that's our goal every day. Corrections officials say they need 300 more officers at state prisons and that past requests for funding have gone unfulfilled by the legislature. This session, a bill named after Officer Gom calls for more funding to hire more corrections officers. The pay for Minnesota state troopers is falling far behind the pay of many local police officers in Minnesota. And the troopers union says that's making it difficult to recruit new troopers and retain current ones. So they're making their case to state lawmakers. How you doing, sir? State troopers have hazardous duty on Minnesota highways, usually working alone in all kinds of weather, enforcing traffic laws, or responding to accidents or people stranded in extreme cold. But their paychecks lag far behind many local police officers. It was shocking. It was truly shocking to see the disparity between what the troopers are getting paid and other law enforcement agencies out there. Republican Senator Jeff Howe authored a bill to address that disparity. According to Minnesota State Troopers Association figures, starting pay for troopers is just under $56,000. That ranks 16th compared to metro area police departments, topped by Plymouth, Egan, and Cottage Grove. The disparity gets wider after seven years of service, when trooper pay hits just under $74,000, ranking 26th behind number one Eden Prairie at nearly $90,000. From about 2003 to about 2012, in about a 10-year span, we had five contractual years of zeros, so 0% zero pay increases. Mike Ledoux of the Minnesota State Troopers Union says those were bleak state budget years. Now, lagging wages are making it difficult to recruit and retain troopers. We want to recruit them, we want to retain them, and then ultimately retire them. But if, if they can go somewhere else and make a substantial amount of money, they're going to start considering that. We're just trying to look forward and try to prevent us from losing any more troopers. Those trooper salary figures are based on a hypothetical 2% increase that has not been approved yet in the latest contract. The Troopers Association says they lost 17 state troopers last year for non-retirement reasons, meaning they likely found higher-paying work elsewhere. Senator Howe's bill calls for a study to be done to determine the seven highest-paid departments in the state and have troopers paid up to 95% or more of the average of those departments. The Troopers Union contract is the only one not settled yet among state employee contracts. It's headed to arbitration next month. This Thursday will mark one year since the deadly mass shooting at Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School in Parkland, Florida. 17 students and staff members were killed, 
And now Minnesota lawmakers are working on a way to prevent a similar tragedy and keep students safe in the classroom. Callan Gray explains how the bill would help identify students in crisis. Nearly a year after a former student killed 17 people at a Parkland, Florida high school, Minnesota State Senator Carla Bigham is again pushing for early intervention. Students deserve a safe place to go to school. She's introduced a bill to require every district in the state to create school safety assessment teams for each the elementary, middle, and high school levels. The goal is to be proactive in identifying the threatening behavior because a lot of times those behaviors are evident before a tragedy occurs. She says the team would be made up of school administrators, mental health experts, and police. And the bill includes $300,000 for training for the team. The Parkland study just came out. She's been collaborating with Cottage Grove Police Captain Randy McAllister. What are the factors that could identify a threat? So we look at things like, do they articulate some sort of grievance with the school or somebody at school? Um, do they have ideation? Are they thinking about violence? Um, are they uh, sort of worshiping at the shrine of previous school shooters? The bill says if a student poses a threat, the team must report it to the superintendent. Intervention runs the gamut. Law enforcement is an intervention, but it's not the intervention typically in these cases. I always have concerns when we have law enforcement on the team that's looking at student data and looking at who's a threat. Marika Pfefferkorn, founder of the Midwest Center for School Transformation, says she's worried about profiling and would rather see a team analyze districts as a whole. What are the relationships like in the school? How are folks connected to the community? Because to me, those are the things that actually create safety. The bill, as introduced, also calls on the team to identify students at risk for self-harm or suicide. But Senator Bigham says she plans to take that section out after speaking with mental health advocates. There is also a House version that's been introduced. The senator hopes hearings will begin soon on both. Reporting, Callan Gray, 5 Eyewitness News. And still to come, Darren Broughton and Annette Meeks will be here for political analysis. And doing your taxes may be more complicated than normal this year. The resources the state of Minnesota is highlighting to get you help for free. It's officially tax filing season. Doing your taxes will be more complicated in Minnesota this year because the legislature and governor failed last year to agree on how to conform Minnesota taxes to the new federal tax code. But there is free help available for many Minnesotans. You see up there... Uh, the IRS.gov slash free file. This tax year is likely to be more confusing than most. So the state is trying to make sure Minnesota taxpayers know about free tax filing assistance. We really are encouraging Minnesotans to use electronic filing this year. It will help them work through the questions uh, in a seamless way. The questions will often focus on the differences between state and federal tax law because Minnesota did not pass a law last year to conform our system to the new federal system. The state revenue commissioner urges Minnesotans to use tax software if you're doing your own taxes. To make sure that uh, you, are, you are adjusting to that new federal law, which changed significantly, and are also able to file your Minnesota returns. Again, Minnesota law hasn't changed, but the differences between the two will make filing a little bit different this year. The biggest change is on itemizing deductions. The federal government nearly doubled the standard deduction, so most taxpayers will no longer itemize deductions. 
However, the state tax code still allows itemized deductions. The Revenue Department has already said they will allow Minnesota taxpayers to take the standard deduction on their federal tax forms and itemize on their state tax forms. But the legislature is likely to pass some sort of tax conformity law this year. Minnesota's never conformed to everything on the federal tax bills. Republican Senate Majority Leader Paul Gazelka says his goal in tax conformity will be making sure it doesn't create higher taxes. That's my one thing. I want to make sure that it's tax neutral, that we conform as much as we can, but we don't raise more taxes on Minnesotans. Lieutenant Governor Peggy Flanagan says the Walls administration will reveal more about tax conformity plans later this month. Now there are some income limits on who can get the free tax help. We've posted several resources you can use this tax season and find out more inside this story at kstp.com. And time now for political analysis. Joining me, Annette Meeks and Darren Broughton. Thank you both for being here. Of course, uh, the big news this week and the big news later today is what will Amy Klobuchar do? Uh, and Annette, I'm pretty sure we know what she's going to do this afternoon on Boom Island. Well, she hasn't confided to me personally, but I have it on good authority. She's going to announce for president, and I say good for her. And Darren, uh, as a Democrat, and you look at her compared to the, the existing field of about 10 candidates, uh, where does she stack up? Well, she's going to be in the middle of the pack right now. I think she has a unique opportunity of being sort of that moderate centrist in the race. Uh, but when you have 10 candidates, there's probably been another 10 candidates jumping in the next few uh, months. Uh, she's going to have, a, I think, a difficulty to figure out how to separate herself out of the pack if she doesn't have the money to do it. And, and that's going to be the interesting thing because she can't play the, well, I'm the female in the race because half of the candidates on the Democratic side now are female. So she's going to have to do something else to break from the pack. Well, I think that's going to be her biggest problem is she's competing in some states that really tend to reward the most liberal or the most conservative candidates on, bo on both sides. And Iowa's a tough state. People say, well, geography, well, that didn't help Governor Pawlenty, that didn't help Michelle Bachman or Scott Walker. Um, it's a tough state to compete in when everybody's trying to out-liberal each other. And you see a video of uh, Senator Klobuchar on election night here. She's won three very impressive victories, Darren, here in Minnesota, including winning a lot of counties that uh, President Trump had won. But how does she make that case then nationally? It's a little harder. The other piece we need to remember, too, is that uh, because of early voting, actually California will be earlier than mm -hmm. Iowa. So people in California will be voting weeks early before the Iowa caucuses, which changes the whole dynamic of that race. Yeah, and of course you got Kamala Harris who's in the race as well. Uh, so California, we think we know who's going to win uh, there. Uh, so how does this all shake out then? Is she going to be, at some point, if she's not able to get the top spot, does this set her up maybe for a, a VP spot? I think it does, and I think that her interesting conundrum is much like Governor Plenty's, in that you're a great general election candidate. Um, you mentioned in the opening that, you know, the states that she could be very competitive in, Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, Ohio, the Rust Belt states, Michigan, um, I think she could do very well there. Her problem is how does she raise the money and stay in the race long enough to, to make that case. And could she be a moderating uh, force on a ticket with a candidate who's seen as being more to the left? She could be. The challenge is I couldn't even tell you today who the top ticket might be because there, no there is no front runner at all on the Democratic side. All right, unless Joe Biden gets in. A lot of polls have shown a lot of people oh. like Joe Biden, but we'll, we'll see what happens. Uh, back here uh, in state uh, politics, Jason Rarick, big win in the Senate. It's only one 
additional seat for Republicans in the Minnesota Senate. But, Annette, as we heard the Senate Majority Leader say, that's huge. It is huge. 35 is a lot better than 34, especially considering two Republican uh, senators last session had heart attacks. Uh, you can't afford to have anybody absent. This gives them a little breathing room. But more importantly, it solidifies the Republicans moving further and further north uh, in Minnesota. On the Iron Range now, we finally have a good foothold with Congressman Stopper and now Senator um, Rarick. Even while they're losing some ground in the suburbs, but that's a whole other uh, story. But on, on certain issues like the gas tax and maybe recreational marijuana, uh, Darren, the win by uh, Rarick could give Republicans uh, some insulation from losing on those issues because there might be a Republican or two who, who might drift, but now they can kind of withstand the loss of one vote. They could, although particularly on the gas tax, Rarick actually ran on raising the gas tax, although he flip-flopped on it multiple times during the special election. So who actually knows where uh, the new senator from uh, up there, come, where he is on that one. And, so, and ironically, I heard the Democrats criticized him for that. Well, they the did, race. and I thought that was, it was really taken out of context. I think what's interesting is you have a, an electrician that was union-endorsed who has served his, the southern part of the district very well, and now he's going to represent a larger swath of area. And like I said, it's, this is very important long-term for the Republicans holding control of the state Senate. I was just going to ask you, final 10 seconds, uh, does this set Republicans up a little better for trying to defend their majority? It was a toss-up before, it's a toss-up now. Really, at the end of the day, those Senate Republicans have more seats that they have to protect than Democrats do. All right, Darren and Nett, thanks for being here. Uh, a lot of interesting things going on in Minnesota politics. We'll be keeping on top of it. Up next, Catherine Tanucci and Kurt Zellers will join me for Face Off. We're back in two minutes. And time now for Face Off. Joining me today, Catherine Tanucci and Kurt Zellers. Thank you both for being here. Uh, Amy Klobuchar, uh, taking all the political oxygen out of the room uh, this What's weekend. <laughs> well, we don't know exactly, yeah, exactly. but we're pretty sure we know yes, that yes. this afternoon she's going to announce she's running for president. And of course, you know, we talked a little bit in political analysis about uh, her statewide success and whatnot. Nationally, she's not as well known, mm -hmm. but she did get some good publicity during the Brett Kavanaugh hearings. And a lot of Americans got to know who she is and how they thought she handled that well. Uh, is that something she's going to be able to hang her hat on nationally? Absolutely. I think we'll be seeing clips from that hearing and how tough she was and, and honest and aggressive and an advocate for people. I think just looking at this week, we've been talking about this now for almost a week. Will she or won't she announce? I think that was a really smart political move to tease the announcement several days in advance. Um, starting on Tuesday night, now on Sunday, we finally get to hear the news. People, Democrats across the country have been talking about her all week, uh, that she really made great, uh, it, was a, it was a really great move. To, yeah, to make an announcement yeah. about an announcement. <laughs> so you kind of get people like us talking about it even yeah. now. And, of course, that sets her up for the Monday morning talk shows. And she's been no stranger on national TV over the last several weeks and months as people have speculated about this. No, it's, uh, it's shocking. She's available, constantly available. <laughs> Um, I mean, I think it's great. The, the coverage is fantastic. If you're in, in elected office, we've both worked as press secretaries. That's what you want for your boss. The problem is that's not the audience that she's going to have to get through. This is the group of delegates that are just like some Republican groups. They have moved further and further and further and further left. So that's what she's got to appeal to. And then there's the, the finance committee, the, the folks that are going to fund her. That's the, the two biggest obstacles I see is how does she appeal to somebody beyond the Midwest and then where do you get that money? Because with that many candidates in the race, that's a whole lot of hands out that people, the donors are going to have to sift through. And Catherine, so many Democrats want 
fire and brimstone to combat the fire and brimstone that comes from President Trump. They're not going to get that with, with an Amy Klobuchar. She's going to be more the antithesis of President Trump. Right, exact, Trump. exactly. That, and, and that's the question for, um, you know, Minnesotans have said over and over that we love Amy Klobuchar. And I think that as, as she introduces herself to Democrats across the country, um, some who have seen her and, and liked what they've seen so far, uh, it's a question of what do we want? How are we going to combat uh, President Trump in this next race? More of the same or uh, a more moderate, calm, uh, you know, patient voice? Now, the Huffington Post uh, kind of rehashed a story that we've heard before here in Minnesota that uh, Senator Klobuchar can be uh, demanding of her staff and they had several unnamed sources, people who were criticizing her, but then others who would go on the record saying she was great to work for. How does this play out and how does that impact this race, if at all? Well, and I'm going to shock you and Catherine, but I would say that's probably from some of the other Democrats in the race. You know, this is a setup that comes out every time. Um, you know, I don't know. I, I haven't talked to some of the people there. Yeah, sure, these rumors have been out there, but what, where it will affect her is with those delegates. You know, the people when she's going to see, you know, she's going to be sitting in somebody's living room in Iowa, and they're going to say, you know, what is this all about? Is this true? They want to get a temp read for her temperament as an elected official, but also as a manager. So I think that's where it'll come into effect more than it will in the public. Final thought. She's a, a tough senator. She is a strong advocate for people. And very importantly, look at those quotes from people who have worked from her, who went on the record to say, we love her, we love what she's done, we've loved working for her, and I expect we'll hear more of those stories in the weeks to come. All right. Well, we're going to hear more about her plans later this afternoon, and we'll have much more on that on 5 Eyewitness News tonight. Uh, thank you, Kurt and Catherine, for being here. Paul Bunyan's axe visits the state capitol. We'll have more on that story when we come back. Paul Bunyan's axe made the rounds at the state capitol this week. State lawmakers got a chance to celebrate the Gopher football victory over the Wisconsin Badgers back in November. The axe was brought into the Minnesota Senate chamber on Tuesday and elsewhere at the capitol as well. It was the first time the Gophers beat the Badgers to reclaim the axe since 2003. So it was the first chance for many lawmakers to see the axe in person. Of course, the Badgers beat the Gophers in basketball this week, but we're not counting that. We'd like to see what you have to say about At Issue. Write to at issue at kstp.com. You can also listen to episodes of At Issue every week on iTunes and Podcast One. We have links posted on the At Issue page at kstp.com. And that's all the time we have for now. We'll see you again next week for another edition of At Issue.